Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Lisa Percy, the founder and CEO of 15 Light Years. Lisa has known for years that her purpose is truly harnessing clean energy. She started her career in insurance and day by day took the steps that would lead her to her passion of building positive momentum and clean energy adaptation. In 2016, Lisa took the leap and founded 15 Light Years, a company dedicated to fueling the future of energy and making the world a better place. They provide clean energy solutions for builders and homeowners, as well as test, verify, and certify new construction projects with the goal of helping our customers attain higher building performance and greater energy savings. To date, they have certified over 1,400 green homes and six high-rise buildings with the Florida Green Building Coalition. Lisa also founded the 15 Light Years Foundation, which brings the green school program to life for kids in the Orange County School District. Lisa, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today, my friend. Happy to be here. Well, I am so curious, especially with the unique industry you're in. Can you give us a little background on the series of events that led you to start in this company? Um, obviously, I started uh, in insurance. You just mentioned that. But it, it started there because in 2004, we had tons of hurricanes and disasters. And um, my uh, insurance background kind of threw me into that baptism by fire. Um, and I really, really, ever since I was a kid, uh, realized the impact we have on society and the environment and was very aware of those things. I used to want to save the manatees and adopted a manatee for my birthday and things like that. Yes. Um, so I've always been the hippie of the family is what they used to call it. Now it's just being uh, environmentally conscious. Um, sure. So that's always been a passion of mine. I just never really put the pieces together on how I could create that as, as also as a business until I got into HVAC, uh, which is air conditioning and selling those to different contractors. And I was really selling it based on the fact that um, these homeowners would be more energy efficient if they replace their AC and would ultimately use less energy and which is a, a huge impact on the environment. Our built environment and the energy consumption that we have has a huge impact on um, what's happening with our climate. So- sure. Um, we, with that kind of focus, one of the HVAC contractors I was working with, uh, really kind of worked with him on building an energy portion of the business and focusing on energy consumption and energy testing. Hmm. And from there on the business development side and doing sustainability with him, um, we created, uh, essentially a company, um, focused on energy, but it was under the HVAC company. Um, okay. And I really branched off of that and really started my own company when I wanted to get into renewable energy. I knew that was the next step. I kept focusing on energy and energy consumption, and I knew I could make a difference on how people obtain their energy. And so I got into solar and we are a, a EPC and we started 15 light years and we do. What is EPC? Testing. It's uh, engineering procurement and construction for solar. Okay. So we install solar on all kinds of buildings, including NASA, uh, city of Orlando here in Florida. We work with a lot of different municipalities and we just finished three fire stations. Wow. Yeah. All right. What in the world? So <laughs> you didn't just dive into some easy to understand, you know, age old technology you dived into the frontier. How hard was that to, to go through the initial learning curve and the R and D and the, you know, just take me into that. that that's just curious. I'm curious about that. It, it was nuts. I mean, I was nuts and you have to no risk, no reward. Right. So I right. just, I dived in, I knew it was going to be the next big thing, I guess you could say, because I just knew how important it was that we made that move. And I wanted to be a part of that movement. I initially wanted to start as a foundation in that movement 
in uh, taking panels off people's roofs and giving it to people who can't afford um, their electric bill. So when, it, when a customer wanted to upgrade their panels, I would essentially take them off and give them to people who can't afford their electric bill. Wow. Um, and that was how I kind of got started in it. And I, I have a marketing degree, right? So I don't have an electrician's license. I don't have any of that construction background, but I surrounded myself immediately with people who did um, because I realized quickly that you had to make money to help people. Um, and we focused on the business first because of that. Uh, I realized that focusing on the foundation first wasn't the way to go. Um, although it is a huge, huge portion of why uh, we focus on the business. Super cool. So with this kind of business, as tech heavy as it is, as, as frontier as it is, did you have to raise capital to get it off the ground or were you able to bootstrap it and slowly just grow from the cash coming into the business? What did that look like? Yeah, I totally bootstrapped it. I, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> looking back, I, I realized I probably should have raised some capital um, to scale quicker, but I learned so many lessons I wouldn't have given up. I um, I got told no from five different banks um, for just a credit line, even just to be able to support and back us up if we ran into any um, like procurement issues with materials and things like that. And I got told from five different banks that it wasn't even really a thing and that nobody's investing in that. And I mean, it was in, wow. the, in the early adaptation of solar. So um, after, after that, finally, somebody said yes. And I did get a credit line and um, it did give me a little bit of security because for the first few months I was eating glass, just hoping that I would be able to make payroll every two weeks. Sure. What so, size, what size team did you start with out of the gate? I start, I started with about, um, six key players, but really two in the beginning. Um, and then it, it's led to six. Uh, and from there we are now over 40 people. So. Wow. And that started in 2016. Yeah. 2016 with renewable energy. We, I started doing the energy and, um, sustainability side of the business in 2012. So really, I mean, we found it in 2012, but we really didn't start in renewables till 2016. From two people to over 40 in four plus years is remarkable. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. We um, loved it. What was the first kind of product or service that you guys were offering out of the gate? Um, well, we started with uh, our existing builders and we really only had two main uh, customers and and those two customers were big customers. Um, Meritage Homes was one of our first customers we were really um, focused on energy testing with. Okay. And it wasn't code. So at the time it wasn't code and we really were pushing it as a, as a marketing feature to a builder saying, hey, look, we're building energy efficient homes. And nowadays it's code and it's something that comes much easier to our sales team than it was um, in, in the beginning. Okay. Um, and from there, we went into sustainability as, as also as a marketing tool for our builders, building green homes and multifamily dwellings, building green homes. And it's funny that you mentioned the schools because we started in the school districts kind of working on green programs as well. And that one contact I worked with moved over to Kissimmee um, and is the uh, construction facilitator for the Kissimmee area, uh, KUA schools, and he, um, or Osceola County School, sorry. And he uh, did the first net zero school in the, in the state of Florida, and we got to participate in that as a company. So you never know wow. where your contacts are going to lead, but we had very few customers at first, and our first goal was to diversify that. Um, because obviously, you know, it's very fragile when you have one or two really good customers running your business. Yeah, um, they no, go away, you go away. Yeah, no investments, no nothing. So yeah. we, were, um, we were a very fragile company in the beginning. And I think it helped us because we all put 100% into that, um, those customers. And, it, and it, if you start it that way with the customer in mind first and not, um, you know, anything else. It's just, we got to do a good job for them. We got to do what's right. We got to make sure they're happy and 
we started that way and it really, really helped us because we followed through. Now we're over, I think over 30 builders um, that we work with and each one of them, we have that same quality and attention to. Yeah. When you look back at that first year or two where every business is still on that Jeopardy window, you know, of who knows, this could work out and be a huge success or it might not. What do when you look back, are there a few key lessons or decisions that emerged to you that were important in turning this into a success? Absolutely. It really comes down to uh, the decisions you make every day, really Mm. um, the small decisions you make every day to get up and do it anyway, even though you don't feel like it, um, to get told no again and again and again and not giving up. Um, Mm. But the, the big decisions like um, I would say really relied in the end on the customer and the employee. So people first. So if I always uh, focused on putting the people first, it ended up in, in being the right decision. So if I was ever focused on profit or if I was ever focused on, and I caught myself a, a few times, you know, of course doing, sure. that, like, Oh, well, we can't say no to this because it's such a, such a big, you know, money grab, but we didn't feel right about it. And we said, no, it was ultimately the right decision. So if I were to give that advice to someone else, I would say, as long as you're focused on the people, whether it be the people that are within your organization and the decision compromises that, uh, really consider it heavily as well as if it compromises your customer, then, you know, you got to walk away. Mm. Are there any, are there any moments that come to mind where, um, the temptation was strong to put profit before people. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) even in partner, huh? Are you able to share without too much specifics on what, (laughs) um, as an example of what it might be like for someone in your position? Um, well, I, I, I mean, yeah, you get offers a lot to buy your business too, when you get into a certain level and, you know, it looks lucrative or it looks great for you, but you really think about your team and and it's not about that. I started the business because I I knew the people around me, um, needed not only my customers, which they did, they need, they needed, um, people who are focused on energy first. So reducing the use of energy and they have a smaller solar system, right? If they're not using a ton of energy, they're going to have a smaller solar system on their roof, which is counterintuitive for our business, right? We want to sell bigger systems. Um, But putting the customer first has led us to multiple referrals. So in the end, I think the profit ended up being there. Just like with my employees in the beginning, um, I started the business with them and I want to see it all the way through with them. And so selling the business is never going to be something that no matter how profitable it is, um, it, you know, we truly are the heart of the business. So it's never going to be a singular decision. It's going to be a group decision if we ever get to that point. Wow. You know, what's fascinating for me being on this side of the conversation for, I think, 60, 60 something interviews so far of founders of Inc. 5000 companies there's been some commonalities. Well, well, two things. So one, there's been plenty of diversity of story of journey, which is so fun to see that there's no one way to get to where you're going, but there's been some similarities. And one has been customer, like really doing things right. Like actually making integrous decisions, putting your customer first and the other is caring for people. It just keeps popping up again and again that I hope people listening to this are seeing like, Hey, today's fastest growing companies are doing business the right way. They're really making sure they're actually serving their their customer and putting them first. And they're also really caring for the people that they are hiring and bringing into their mission versus just seeing them as cogs in the machine that are replaceable and use them till they're no good anymore than throw them away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at one point, um, our designer had mentioned something to me. He's like, I feel like I'm in a, and he, we have a great relationship for him to be able to say this to me, but he, he felt like he was in uh, an assembly line because he's just pumping out, you know, designs and working really, really hard. And so we sat down and talked about how we could change that. So it does happen where, you know, you don't realize that things get, um, you get stuck in operations sometimes and you get stuck in pumping things out and getting things done and, and you have to step back and say, okay, wait, 
um, they have to have a good enough relationship with you to tell you, first of all, that there's a problem because a lot of people um, as founders don't take the time to talk to employees. And, you know, right now we're 40, so I can have that relationship with my employees, but what happens when we're 500? So, yeah, super cool. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So what I've found, and this is just my observation, it's not, you know, fact or whatever, but you know, there's, there seems to be the approach of the opinion that there's capitalism and business that's out for itself. And then there's nonprofit and forces of good that are out for the world, but make no money. Right. And that's the world I came from. I came from nonprofit and ministry world for the first part of my, my career. And my opinion was we could do more good if we figured out how this thing could actually make money and then you could be generous with that money and do open doors. And, but by being a force of good, who also figured out how that is a value in the market and an exchange of goods. Right. And similar to you almost starting with the foundation, but then realizing we're going to be in a better leverage position. If we actually start a a profitable company that can then have a foundation that does even better stuff. Um, Again, you can feel free to disagree with me if you see the world differently, but uh, I'm curious to get your take on that, right? That we don't have to just be a nonprofit who is relying on donors. And that's, there's a place for that. That's awesome. Or be a for-profit company that's greedy and only out for themselves, screw the world. But there's some, there's a middle ground there, right? Yeah, I think it's really important to talk about that. I, um, I had, even myself personally, had an image of money as being greedy or selfish. And so that's, it was never my, uh, you know, inspiration, I guess, for starting a business was to earn money. Obviously we need to earn money to live, but it wasn't like to have some multi-billion dollar corporation. Right. Um, and I think especially women have a hard time with, you know, it, it comes off as, you know, bragging or, um, and, and I think we need to step away and say, okay, look, we have to make money and money's okay to make. And it's, great to be generous with our money. And so I think saying, um, you know, you can be a better mom when you have more money. Honestly, I have two kids and, you know, you can be a better mom. You can be a better business owner because you can provide your employees with the things they need to do their job. Yeah. Um, And realizing that throughout the process, you can have a foundation and you can better supply the foundation. Um, And you can, you can enjoy the money too. You can go on vacation. You can do those things without being greedy or selfish. You're taking yeah. care of yourself and your business and your employees. And, um, you know, we're able to offer health insurance benefits to our employees that are incredible. And it's because we're a thriving business now. In the beginning, we didn't have those things, those opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I think as a business, um, yes, there's a place for, um, you know, in, the profit and it doesn't have to be the first, um, the first goal, but I think it should be, uh, a goal of any company or nonprofit to, um, you know, look at it differently, I guess, than they have in the past. That was huge, huge for me. It's, it's several years in the making where I had to change my thinking and my relationship to money. Yeah. And it was interesting. I had friends call me out. They're like, I don't think you're seeing this the right way. Like you, you, you feel guilty about making money or whatever. And I was like, man, what's going on? Why do I feel that way? You know? And same thing. I just had these simple ideas and anyone that goes for this is only pursuing this and using it for themselves. And, or there's the monk like existence of denying the pleasure and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized I had an example sitting right in front of me that I was fortunate that my parents were a good example of it. My dad had his, uh, started his own commercial roofing business from scratch, treated his people amazing and built a successful business. And I got to see the benefit as a, as a child where they were able to support my dreams. They were able to, you know, Hey, I, 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 I turned down playing soccer in college for free and decided I just wanted to go as a college student and they were able to pay for that. Instead of saying like, no, that's the only way you can go to college, you know, is, right. is to play for free. And then I watched my mom every Christmas. I was like, forgot about this. She would pull me aside and say, who are we going to bless this year? And it would be our mission. We'd figure out somebody that we were going to secretly do something for. You can't do that if you don't have means, mm-hmm. right? Or at least not to that degree. It's not that you can't be generous. You can't be kind. Mm-hmm. 
but I just realized like, oh, I actually do have an example of what it could look like to create a service or a company that derive that gives real value and so therefore gets value back, create jobs for people that they love, and then be able to use money for family, for mission, for whatever you care about in the world, right? Right. Uh, but that and was a mindset. There saying it gives more, uh, I mean, you, you have to give value to feel like you've earned that money exactly. and get the value. And so I think that's the disconnect people have is, you know, if you're, if you're stealing, you can have means, but it's not, the, you're not going to feel good about it. Yes. So I think by building my own company, I had control over that. Yeah. To be able to give a product I felt good about. I wasn't selling insurance. <laughs> no offense to insurance, it has its sure. place, but I didn't feel good about it. And so I think like like that, you nailed it right there. You have to be able to give a service you feel good about in order to obtain the means and then feel good about that and then be able to to create that full circle by giving it out as well. Yeah. It's both how you get it and what you do with it. It's right. like if you do it in a way that you're comfortable and you feel integrous on how you got it, it was a fair exchange of value. Right. And then you have, you know what you want to do with it. And sometimes that is taking care of yourself or your people, but also taking care of other people. Then you're like, okay, like you said, I can sleep at night. This, right. this is a good thing, but it had this taboo. However, my mind was wrapped around it. It had this kind of taboo and kind of ickiness to it that uh, took a few years to get out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we need to talk about money more as a society and just um, really teach our young people more about money. We have a, a green light card set up for our kids that where they have their own, you know, savings account and their own. And I cool. think that it's something that we can just do it better as a society. We started with um, Honeybee in our organization, which is a B corporation as well. And they do financial. Um, so we pay for this service for our employees, but they have financial counseling available to them. Wow. And they can also borrow at um, a low rate. So they're not going to like, you know, a credit company or a cash now kind of company, they can go to them and it's deducted out of their paychecks. So they're not getting charged these crazy interest rates that they're never sure. going to be able to pay back. That is amazing. I'm curious. I have three young kids. How old are your kids and what, I'm not, I haven't thought that, that about giving them a savings account and teaching them that kind of stuff. So teach me like, well, they're young. So, uh, um, mine's 13 and eight and okay. the eight year olds, like really just kind of by proxy, but, um, the, the 13 year old is doing really great. Um, and we got this for him so he can have, he kept asking me to buy stuff online and he would use his money and I wanted to give him the ability to do it himself and to see the money come out of his account. And, um, because it just almost felt fake. The transaction for him felt fake. And I don't think he yeah. really understood that, you know, no, you bought that thing last week. Do you remember? And he would forget and he wouldn't realize. And so now he's fully actively participating in his own financial success. And, and it's been great, but it's a, just a card that anyone can get their kids. You pay $5 for the service a month. Super cool. Yeah. I'm going to look into that. So my oldest is just about to turn eight. So that makes me feel better that maybe we're not too far behind. The curve. <laughs> yeah. You're not too far behind at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it, these are all the lessons I'm already thinking through. Like I came out yesterday and, and love that we have a neighborhood, that a bunch of kids they play with, they roam, they yeah, roam the neighborhood, which is so fun. And I, but I came out yesterday and we had bought like this huge pack of Costco, big water bottles. Cause I'll just grab one and bring it up here. I'll refill it over and over again. And they had gone through like almost all of them, like, <laughs> like 20 of them. And we're just pouring it on plants and like making mixtures, which was so fun. <laughs> but I was like, guys, I was like, you just wasted so much of this thing that we bought. You know, yeah. I was trying to teach these kids like how you can't just come in and just grab whatever you want and pour it everywhere. Same thing with like my, I watched my kid the other day. Uh, she took something out of a wrapper and just dropped it on the ground. And I was like, Sutton, I go, what is that called? And she's like, what? I was like, the thing on the ground. She's like, that's the carpet. I go, so it's not called the trash, it's not called the trash can. And she's like, no. And I was like, well, I'll make you a deal. You can either put that in the trash can or daddy's gonna put it on your bed. <laughs> Which one? I was like, you want that on the you want that to live in the trash can or on your bed? She's like, trash can. And I was like, just trying to find little ways of like not punishment, but like I need you to make some connections here. Right? right? Like you don't like it if there's a trash on your bed. 
well, this is daddy and mommy's car, our carpet. Like, why are we just dumping stuff on it? You know? Um, But that's where sometimes I feel behind the curve. I'm like, God, I got to think through these things, man. That's the same concept of, I mean, even in our field with sustainability and stuff, that's the same concept that we are literally teaching adults. Like, wow. hey guys, this is our earth, right? That's not a trash can. Can we please put that in the right receptacle? Like, you know, recycling and, and we do all of that um, to a scale where it's kind of cool to see the builders, the same concept where in the beginning, they don't really fully understand like, hey, can we use recyclable? materials and we just talk through we do a design charrette and we talk through it like we'll have everybody there wow. in the room and we'll say we'll walk through those same things that you're saying and it's understanding it's not like you, your daughter didn't really want to piss you off i'm sure no but she just wasn't thinking just not it's just ch- changing the mindset of people from you know these subconscious behaviors and and really just making them more aware of what's happening yeah um, and it's like, you have to look at it that way as these people aren't trying to do something so negative. Um, and I think that's what a lot of times people are scared to talk about stuff like that and money, yeah, and buildings and what they're doing. They don't want to like, you know, undress their building with their energy bill and show how, um, you know, un- unaware they are. Yeah. And, but once we realize there's a problem and what the behaviors are and we change those, they're so happy they did it. So with you guys focusing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but so focusing more or primarily on solar power, correct? Um, Where- yeah, it's, it's 50, 50 of our business. So we okay. do, yeah, we do energy testing and sustainability design consulting, um, as well as certification and then energy testing is, um, essentially there's different levels of it. So you can go from just doing a a blower door test for code compliance to doing energy star or um, department of energy, net zero home, you know? Um, And then on the solar side, we do solar uh, for, we really don't market to homeowners, but we do co-ops and we do municipality and commercial buildings. Okay. Yeah. So my curiosity was it, you know, how far along is that technology in solar at this point? And are there, are there certain areas where you, you need to test to make sure like you're in an area that gets enough sun or oh, yeah. something like that, that it's going to be efficient for you and actually work for you or some hybrid system you might need? Um, can you kind of update us on that? Cause I'm, I live in an area where I'm like, man, I've never thought about that. Do I need to, when I build our, we hope to build a home in a few years, do I need to put solar on it? But I don't even know here in Atlanta, am I in an area that we could do that? You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so could you speak to that for a second? Yeah. Every state's different. So, um, as far as like their rules and regulations, um, but overall there's a, a tax credit that makes it very lucrative right now to go solar and it's a 26% right now of the total bill uh, is going to be credited back. So it's huge. Uh, it used to be 30%. So it's going down and, uh, yearly, um, but it got approved for two years on 26%. So um, essentially uh, we evaluate a home for, if there's trees obstructing the view, you're, you might have to cut down the trees or the branches, um, or you might just be in an area that's not gonna be lucrative for you to go solar because of your you know, position of your home. There's no you know, south facing roof. So we do look at the, like all of the variables when it comes got it. To design of it's which way is your home facing what roof are you allowed you know are you looking to have it on do you not want it on your front of your house um you know there's a lot of things that go into this process not just the energy bill but essentially we're evaluating your energy consumption and what we can offset and how much it's going to save you so the return on investment has become really you know you can look at four to seven years, depending on which home and where you are and all the, the other uh, factors, but um, it, it's great, right? So yeah. essentially you can pay the same amount that you would pay for your power bill uh, towards a solar uh, you know, array. And essentially you could eventually get to a point where if you're moving into your you know forever home where you never have to pay an energy bill again, I mean, you pay a small one because you're still, uh, a tied in with a grid and right. you still have to pay for those services um, in case 
you know, it's a cloudy day and you're not producing energy and things like that. But um, it's, it's a no brainer when you really sit down and talk with somebody and it's going to be holistic to each person. It's going to be holistic to each area and commercial is much more uh, lucrative on the return on investment because they're consuming more energy. Sure. But um, we've, we've had great success with it as long as we're focused on, you know, ultimately giving the customer a, a better and cleaner source of energy than what they're currently using. Cool. All right, let's switch to taking a, a deep dive onto the the building of your business. And, you know, my, my first thought is having, having now over 40 people, what's the most challenging part of having a business of that size with that many people you're trying to lead? Um, it's, it's funny because we've built a really good culture. And I think the most challenging thing for me was, um, letting go to uh, waiting too long to let go of people. And then, you know, that weren't right for our culture. And yeah. um, I think that was the biggest challenge for me in the beginning, because, you know, I kept thinking we can change, you know, their mindset or we can, you know, it was something we were doing and I would say, okay, well, we're not managing them properly. Um, but now I feel pretty strongly about that because we've seen, um, just for, from experience, how when we did ultimately let that person go, how the entire department changed for the better. So now I look at it more as, you know, all the, the great people that we're working with, we, we've got to keep this for them. We got to keep focused on the interview process and making sure these people fit our organizations. They may have all the skills that that we need at the time, yeah. but if they're not right and we ultimately know that, then it's only going to hurt us in the long run. So I think focusing as you grow and scaling your business, that focusing on those core values, and we did a couple core value exercises um, throughout the entire company. And we're doing now, which we never used to have to do because we had so many open-ended conversations, but now it's less and less because they're more distanced. And um, so having, like we sent out an employee satisfaction survey and making sure that we were hearing everybody's uh, opinion and, and changes that they wanted to see within the company. Uh, super cool. Yeah, it, I heard, I think it was, I think it was Yvonne Chouinard was talking about one of the lessons he had to learn was to be slower to hire and quicker to fire. Yes. And he's yeah. like, doesn't mean it's hair trigger, but he was like, he used to be quick to hire and then slow, like let the wrong people stay forever, second, third, fifth, tenth chance. And at some point, he's like, I got to flip that, man. I got to take a little bit longer to hire them and then be quicker to recognize if it's not working out. And I had another guest on the podcast last week that was saying the same thing where he had a mindset change around protecting the good people versus protecting the bad people. And he didn't mean bad morally, but mm -hmm. like, he was very protective, which gets, you get it. It's like, I want to see if I can make this work. I want to help you. I want to try again. But he's like, I realized I had to protect the good people, all the people that were healthy and operating well in our culture and doing great work because he would notice the same thing when he let go of a bad egg. Everybody was like, ah, yeah. you know, like <laughs> there's less drama. We're all, we can trust each other, that kind of thing. He's like, I got to protect that, that culture we're building, right? Yeah. No, you're right. It's true. And I always heard those little sayings, like little quips. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I never really understood that what they meant. Um, you know, I never had my grandfather uh, was an entrepreneur, but I never had that immediate um, day to day interaction like you had with your father, where I understood some of the ins and outs and, um, you know, the eating glass in the beginning and everything else. So I just I kind of um, learned from experience and uh, you know, I guess it's kind of like having kids, right? You have to do it to yeah. understand what you're going oh, yeah. through. No oh, one yeah. can tell you what it's going to be like because you know, you have to experience it. And it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. It's um, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, bang your head against the wall. Like, Hey, why didn't I, why didn't I do that? In the beginning and, and it's only through experience that you can realize what you're you know really capable of yeah let's talk about culture what was as you look back on it and i know it's an ever evolving you know uh investment to keep the culture healthy and that kind of thing but what were some of the most helpful things that you guys did to really define and and develop the culture that you have today 
Um, it was funny because uh, the biggest the biggest shift we noticed in um, was I wanted to do this open ended conversation, bring everybody in because um, we have a lot of field technicians who are out in the field and um, a lot of office. We have different personalities, and we wanted to bring everybody in. I wanted them all to tell us what we were doing wrong and how we could do it differently and. I just wanted really open conversation and everyone was like, you're not going to hear things. You're going to, you're going to, you know, everybody was telling me against or advising me against having everybody in the same room. So it wasn't, it was transparent, I guess I should say. Yeah. And that's where everyone's fear was, is that it's going to be completely transparent. And um, that was the best thing that we ever did in, in order to keep the culture where we wanted it in a consistent way was to remove all the, um, you know, the hidden secrets of unhappy employees and to just put it out there and to really just make it transparent. And the funny thing is it went so well and everybody received it so well and we grew so quickly because of it that we now have this um, completely different mindset as, as the management team on that and it's really mm. helped us to continue to keep the culture because you know they told us things and we made immediate changes and i think that was an, another key piece to it being successful is we didn't just listen we we were um you know immediately doing needle movers that changed the, their their current jobs and they saw that and appreciated that and they felt heard and those are things that are really important um are recently we threw out um a reward for any implementations we make on employees' uh, ideas. So they huh. not only get to share their ideas on how to make their jobs easier, but they're also going to be rewarded for it. So, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is for them to feel heard and to feel a part of the solution and culture and mission. And it was funny, our employee survey said, do you believe in the mission? And every single one of our employees put strongly agree. There was other things that we were you know, maybe we could do better on, but that was one thing that we all believed in. So that was really rewarding for me. Ah, it's so cool, man. Well done. That's, that is a tricky and, and difficult situation to do. It's the right thing to do, but it's, it's tricky when you invite that many voices in, you know what I mean? Um, so you and your team's ability to, to manage that conversation, have it be healthy, have it be transparent, but productive, unifying, um, is really a testament to your skill, uh, which on that, I'd love to do a deep dive uh, a little bit on you. And I'm just always curious about what it's like to be the founder. And I'm curious about the, who the person and the personality is. Um, so the question I would like to ask first is, what would you consider your, we, uh, uh, in EOS language, was a language that I'm familiar with, we'd call it your unique ability. And they would define your unique ability as the thing that you are best at and most enjoy doing. It's that thing at that intersection, right? Um, what would you describe as, as your unique ability? I would think that it would be um, the ability to break things down for people. So I, I was, you know, as the CEO, uh, you get a lot of problems <laughs> um, that come up to you because by the time they get to you, they've already been through a few people. Sure. So um, they're, pretty, pretty big problem. So I think my ability to break down the problem into, and to allow the person that I'm working with the problem on to come up with a solution. So I had a saying in the beginning and I, and I hold true to it. Don't come to me with a problem without a possible solution. Yeah. So, um, they're already thinking for the possible solution. It might not be the solution. And they may, may have said, this is the only solution I've come up with, you know, and I will help them find or drive the, drive to the ultimate solution, but breaking down any problem into small, um, understandable tasks or understandable, uh, steps to the solution, uh, have, have been probably my biggest strength because it, there's been, it's an industry I didn't understand. Yeah. And I'm now certified and fully understand, um, by just breaking it down into to small steps of how to get there and working with people, we, we have a joke around, around the office that if it's like a huge problem that no one can understand, we'll take it on as a company, um, you know, and we get the problem child clients, but it leads to so much more because we sit, we enjoy that. We enjoy breaking down the problem and finding the solution and, 
and it's really helped us tremendously. Ah, super cool. So said another way, I guess your unique ability would be problem solving. Yeah. You, 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 do you, do you come alive at the challenge? Do you like, is it like your brain starts firing and you get excited to, to yeah. figure this out? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like, I used to say I thrive in chaos, but I do, I get excited. I like, because the solution is so rewarding because you know, you're, yeah. you're coming up if, it, if there's no problem, there would be no entrepreneurs, really. We wouldn't, have, you know, we're always solving a problem, right? Yes, yes. So I think I come alive and I enjoy it and it allows the other person, I allow mistakes um, as well. So I'll back my, you know, my employees, they make mistakes. So we just were correcting an $8,000 mistake we just made. And I never once sat down to have some kind of like, you know, this isn't going to happen again conversation. It was just like, <laughs> okay, well, what do we learn from this? And let's move on. And, you know, so when you are constantly seeking out problems, you have to understand there's going to be mistakes that are made and um, you have to be okay with that too. But yes, I love problem solving. I come alive with it and, and I, um, I'm pretty good at being able to get past things that, that other people might not be able to get past. Do you get, do you get bored at, routine and monotony or things that aren't complex and don't you know almost like maintenance like just maintaining stuff does that bore you yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah Yeah. um i even even my um exercise routine will be changed almost weekly you know i'll do yoga one week and then run the next week and then so yes i get very bored in monotony and routine but i'm getting better at it um because i know how important it is uh yeah to have somewhat of a routine, but I do get, I do. But to do it in, in a way that works for your personality. Right. Right. That's what we got to figure out. Like we just work with ourselves. We don't need to change ourselves. It's like, right. Hey, this is my grain. And if, if, that's not going to change. Like whatever your bend is, is not going to change. It can be refined, but you just got to figure out where I, I was listening to a, a podcast with Tim Ferriss and this guy, Josh Waitskin, oh, who was, that. Oh, they're so great. <laughs> okay, so so recently they did another one because he interviews him all the time, and they had a just a fascinating conversation around brilliance often being right next door to eccentricity, and they, they just noticed that like brilliant minds usually have some kind of eccentricity to them, you know, weirdness or glaring weak spots or whatever. And uh, Josh had said he noticed the most successful people that were brilliant found ways to rig the game around their eccentricity. They didn't try to change it or make it go away. They wanted to mitigate it and and just work with it. Like, how do I work with this? Uh, so I'm curious for you. Uh, you're clearly brilliant. Uh, where has this? Where's the flip side of that? Where's the the potential downside of having that that personality style? And what have you done to kind of rig the system in a in a good in a positive way to work with your personality? Uh, I, I have done, I started, um, meditation. So I feel like that's probably rigged the system the most. Cause it, it clears my mind a little bit for me. Mm. Um, the, the hard part is the fun part. Every, every negative of somebody's, you know, personality is also a positive. So exactly. I think the hard part, uh, would be to plan around me. I'm late to my own meetings or, um, you know, my staff always jokes, they never know where I am. I never, each day is different, you know, and like my schedule will change constantly. Um, so I think all of that is definitely mitigated by, I have an online calendar that they all have access to. They know where I am now. Yes. And it was hard for me in the beginning to do that. It genuinely was because I, um, it seems like such a simple thing, but it totally. It, it, and it solved a lot of the problems because they realized, um, I realized that, you know, it was making their jobs harder. So, um, and it's, and it's even hard to, um, nowadays to not have that just as a business owner and working with other people. So I realized quickly that that was going to help me and to utilize it as a tool, even for myself to stay on track. Um, So there's so many tools out there nowadays uh, that help you with, you know, apps and things like that. But I think ultimately the tool that goes unseen would be taking the time to myself that I need because you're always giving your people, uh, your energy. And I think that your energy is a privilege and you need to take that, whether it be, you know, in prayer for some people or meditation, um, and really just give yourself that 10 minutes, minus 20 minutes, twice a day to check out 
and to be able to check in. And I've realized it allows me, and it's twice a day because it allows me to be there for my employees fully. Yes. And then once I get home, it allows me to shift that mindset because I was, you know, kind of in this bad cycle where I was constantly on at work and I didn't give my family enough of my attention. So taking that shift from work to home um, really helped me kind of uh, in, in everything and to clear up my mind on what I needed to focus on, on changing. Yeah. All right. So there's two things I want to, to comment on. One is I think I'm very similar to you the more we talk about this uh, because I resisted any kind of calendar and any any of that kind of stuff forever. And it's, I got the same thing for my team. Like, dude, we just, I don't know when, if I could call you or, you know, we're, we're, we need to schedule things. Uh, so Calendly and Gmail calendar shared yeah. with my team has been a game changer. And I feel so stupid because it's so s- simple, but like just being able to say, Hey, if you like go to this link, it'll show you what's available. And if it's available, click on it. It'll put it straight on my calendar and I don't have to do all the back and forth. Send me yeah. your times. I'll send you my times. And I forget to respond to them sending me their times, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, or, yeah. or it changed in the meantime. It was available. Now it's not available. That just simple discipline helped me a bunch. And then my shared calendar where they can just see exactly what I'm up to. All that kind of stuff has been huge. But then the second thing you mentioned is the always giving of the energy, right? And this is something that a lot of founders don't realize till sometimes it's too late when the relationships have burnt out or they've burnt out. I've had several founders on the podcast that had like physical ramifications from their lack of recovery of energy. One was going blind. Literally he, he was going blind in both eyes and thought it was some genetic thing. And the doctor's like, this is stress. This is stress. And when he, when he worked on that, his eyesight came back. Another had gut issues. Another had back issues and I'm like, there's a formula, right? That if you're expending energy, you have to be recovering energy. You've got to balance that formula. If not, like you're just not making the math work. It'd be like having a business that is is spending more than it's making, right? Like eventually that's going to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you learn that? You mentioned, and then also you mentioned like meditation or some breaks. What have been some key things for you once you started paying attention to that that is cleared you or helped you mentally or emotionally or to keep having the capacity to give? Um, so I learned that, gosh, I've been doing it for about two years now. So about halfway through, so probably two years in, right? right yeah. When you're ready to pull your hair out and you're ready to make that transition from new business to um, an established business. Yeah. So right around that transition where I was like, okay, I had to give. And I, in a lot of cases I did have to give, you know, 70 hour work weeks, you know, or it wouldn't have worked because somebody else would say, you just have to let it go. I'm like, well, if I let it go, it's going to (laughs) fall. Yeah. So, um, it was a lot of work and I'm not going to lie and just act like, oh, you throw meditation in there and in the beginning, you're going to be fine. But I think I realized quickly that from that transition, how much it it helped me so it was about two years in and once I made that transition it freed when I was working I was giving it a hundred percent instead of like that 60 percent exhausted you know energy yeah so now it's like whatever I'm doing I give it a hundred percent and if it's something that and I go with my gut a lot more than I did in the beginning and I think that um people who don't will be giving energy to the wrong things. Yeah. You know, even doing this podcast, I was, for whatever reason, I went with my gut and, you know, it's something that I don't say yes to. It's probably my first podcast um, other than working with my sister who's on radio. Yes. <laughs> and I get offers, you know, to be on them, but I always say no. So um, I did one for my sister as a favor that that was different, but so you're my first real podcast. Um, so honored. Yes. Yeah. But you go with your gut and you don't yeah. just give energy to things that you want to do. And, um, and it made a huge transition for me. So don't wait two years uh, to start yeah. listening to your gut. Uh, I, I listened to my gut in the beginning, of course, but I, um, I would push it and say yes to everything. And I actually had a motto of like, oh, yeah, we can do that. And I'd figure out how. Yeah. Um, 
And now it's like, you know, do we want to do that? Do we need to be there? Is this something that, you know, what are we going to gain from this? And, and those questions, just asking those simple questions to yourself. And I think COVID helped a lot of people of with course. that. You know, oh, yeah. because it automatically became a no to everything. And it people were like, dang, I have so much more time. Yeah. Um, luckily, mine happened a little bit before COVID. Um, but I, I think that if you did, haven't learned that lesson in COVID, that you should really consider giving yourself those questions before you say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So two mindset shifts that I've seen be critical for people. So I geek out on this. I'm a performance coach. I co-founded a company that does coaching you know, for high performers and leaders and teams. So I get, I just geek out on this. And one of the things I see often is that, but you don't understand, I have to work 70 hours a week. And I'm saying, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but if you are going to work 70 hours a week, what are you going to do to recover from the 70 hours a week? Right? So if you're an athlete, you might say, no, I have to work this hard, train this many hours a day. You know, like Michael Phelps was talking about, he had five years of unbroken swim practice. And he knew that the margin of victory was so small between him and competitors, even though he was the world's greatest, he couldn't miss a day. But he said, if I was going to ask that much of my body, I had to give that much back to my body. Right. So it's not saying you don't have to work hard. You probably right. do have to work 70 hours a week at the beginning and, and in seasons where it's, it's more intense. It's like, that's fine. But what are you going to do? There's a reason why the athlete takes an ice bath afterwards because they realize that's going to help them recover faster than if they didn't. And they just went and drank a beer and fell asleep, you know, okay, right. and that's the part where it's going like, OK, I'm not arguing with you not to work hard. I'm just saying, what could we add even in small rituals or in small ways that would give your body some time to recover your mind, your heart and these 10 minutes, the kind of thing, um, which is huge. And then the other that you talked about was COVID helping. And I'll, I'll give a great story. One of my best friends owns a gym down the road and he's worked so hard and he's built this awesome community and this kind of thing, but he was always working. Like he was up at five 30 leading classes all the way till seven 30, you know? And I had been talking to him in his ear. Cause we work out together every day, just as buddies. And I was like, dude, what do you want? Like, do you want to keep doing this or do you want to like build a business where you can, be home some more. And he's like, but I love the business. I was like, of course you do. But don't you want to be with your kids a little more? And he's like, yes, but I don't know how. And I was like, well, we need to talk about it. And then it was COVID where the gym got forced to shut down that he had ever just like been home. And he had like had a morning to sleep in and like be with the kids that he came about two weeks into COVID. And he said, Hey, I want to, I want to pick up that conversation again. Like I've tasted now what it was like to have a life outside of this. And whenever we open back up, I want to do it differently. And so we got him his first real key hire that he could he could trust to do more of the coaching load. And he started bringing in interns and training them how to do what he did. And now he still works hard, but he's got X amount of mornings off. And he's making sure that he's there for his kids' soccer games on Friday nights and things. And he's so happy because of that. But COVID was the thing that kind of forced the innovation, right? Mm-hmm. It, showed, it let him taste. Instead of just theorize, he tasted of it. I was like, this is what I want. I didn't even know what I was missing. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you get caught up in operations of a business, whether it be, you know, just, just in general, you know, day to day, you get so caught up that you don't, you lose sight and, and, you know, you really do. And so you continue on this cycle, this hamster wheel of what you think needs to happen but until you let it all, you know, fall apart, like something like, you know, this COVID until you, you stop and look at what's going on in the big picture and say, yeah. okay, what's important to me. You're just not going to understand again, where you need to focus your resources. So it's like, what are you saying no to, to get that? Yes. Right. Yeah. So what are you sacrificing? And it's, and it's really eye opening. Super cool. All right, friend. I want to get to our lightning round questions. I know we are tied on time and I don't want to ruin being the first podcast you've ever said yes to. So (laughs) I'm going to respect your time. Let's get to the lightning round questions. These are five questions that we've asked every founder who's been on here. No need to overthink it. First thing that comes to mind. Number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Be you. Love it. Just be themselves, be authentic. Yep. 
Killer. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? Um, the best advice was you have to make money to give money. Because <laughs> yes. um, it plays in my head all the time. Um, and the absolute worst was, um, you know, that it wasn't a good idea or that, um, you know, I needed to step back and I needed to really think about all, all the, um, all the, the hard work it was going to be. And basically just the naysayers, the negative. Yeah. This is never going to work. Never going to work or it's not a thing or, um, you know, I mean, I literally had people to say, you don't have any background in that you're not going to be successful in it. And I think that was a mindset shift that I had to make was, you know, just because you've been doing it for 20 years, doesn't mean, you know what you're doing. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Number three, what causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? The most stress and worry that I have currently is outgrowing our quality. And, Mm. you know, I definitely don't want to outgrow our quality and, and, you know, we're in a, a scaling time and making sure that we ensure that we don't and it's just all putting processes in place to make sure that we don't lose that quality. But it's yeah. our biggest internally work. or externally or both. Both. Yeah. Cool. All right. Number four. What is your BHAG, your big hairy audacious goal? Big hairy audacious goal is to be a um, a global company okay. and to scale ourselves to where we are not not only just right now we're currently only in florida and we are are moving into other states but the big goal is to be global love it number five this is our fun creative question if you could hop into a delorean go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window when would you go back and what would you tell your younger self gosh When I would go back, I would go back to, I would go back to probably, it isn't that long ago, but I would go back to about seven years ago and tell myself that, um, you know, not, not to not speak up and to, um, you know, everybody around you is really just doing the best they can and they're faking it most of the time, Um, you know, and that the reality is that we are all as insecure as the next person and not to to keep, because a lot of times, I mean, I would hold back opinions or advice that now I look, I wish that some of my employees would give me, you know, so I I really would go back and say more and do more. I want to add an I want to add an additional question for the first time to this, if you're cool with it. Yeah. Uh, because someone did this to me, so I was being interviewed on a, a podcast by somebody that had listened to a bunch of mine and loved it, and they're like, "No one's ever asked you that question." And then they added one, so they're like, they wanted to know what I'd go back, and then they wanted to know if I could go forward and see something. Like I can't change anything, but I, if I could go forward into the future and just check and see how things are going, what would I want to see? And I was surprised by my answer. It was actually kind of revealing of what I care about. So if you could fast forward five years, 10 years, 20 years, what would you kill to go and see and and see what's going on? I would kill to see myself. And and I guess it's pretty easy because I I, um, journal all the time and put it out there. But I I would definitely see myself in a a village somewhere helping a, a village that has no access to energy and to be able to be there with the kids laughing. And I wouldn't even be installing energy, you know, somebody else would be doing it, but um, yeah. solar, but just being a part of that and just feeling like, you know, there was an impact in, in these children's lives and they're now gonna have access to lights. And um, that would that would be- So cool. cool. Yeah, so cool. It's just revealing of like, well, better make sure I, I keep that in mind. If that's the thing I'd like to fast forward and make sure I'm up to or see, you know? Yeah, that's the why. I mean, we forget so many times when I, you know, we're not focused on why we're doing something and we're just doing it. Yeah. And just to do it. And even my, my kids sports and things like that. I, I, COVID helped realize that like, why are we doing this? Is it, you know, to show off to the neighbors, how good our kids are at sports or, (laughs) 
Are they happy doing the sports that we're making them do? Or is it because you want yeah. them to have a team, an environment that they understand? And we, we do, we really do want our, you know, children are to have a team and to understand. So signing up for those sports is easy now because I'm like, okay, well, I want them to have a team environment and a coach and I want them to have another adult they look up to and things like that. So stopping and asking, why are we doing something as simple as our, our brushing our teeth, right? Or yeah. that and, and being curious and learning and from our, our day-to-day habits. So cool. Well, Lisa, that's it. You have survived the interview. You survived the five lightning round questions. And this has been such an honor. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, what you're doing is awesome. What the impact you guys are making is huge. Um, and, and we've learned, I know I've learned so much from you already just in this brief conversation. So thank you for making the time and coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.